Okie dokie. Um, we are going to read from Genesis chapter 3, uh, verses 1 through 9. So uh, we're starting a new sermon series, and we're going to be talking about the Trinity. So the Trinity is the doctrine, which is very confusing, that God is one essence, but three persons. One essence, but three persons. And you guys are immediately like, what? That's crazy. Um, there's one guy that said, um, I think the Trinity is like the hardest idea that humans have to grapple with. Or it's like, that we, it's like the, the most difficult concept that we were ever asked to grapple with. And so people try all these different types of analogies, which all are imperfect, but can help a little bit to understand the nature of this. So you guys are thinking, what the heck does it mean? God is one essence, three persons. People use the analogy of water, the element, right? There is one chemical formula, water, uh, but then there are three different forms that water takes. It can be a gaseous form, it can be a solid form, or it can be a liquid form, right? So is ice water? Yes. Is Water, water? Yes. Is mist water? Yes, it is. So three different forms, one substance, in the same way, God is one essence, one God, and yet he has three different persons. So God is like in a different dimension than us, and so somehow in God's dimension, it's possible for him to be one essence, but three different persons, very confusing. Uh, but we're not going to talk too much about that this time because we have to see why this matters. And so before we get into these great truths about the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we have to ask ourselves this question, uh, what story are we in? What story are we in? Why does knowing the acceptance and love of God, the Trinity, matter to us? Uh, and you know, honestly, I think this is a big problem that we have in churches. Uh, we don't start at the beginning, we start in the middle, and we assume that people talking about the love of God will fix all our problems, but we don't explain why. Why does the love of God matter? And then we also don't explain what is wrong with the world, what is wrong with us. Now, if you read through all of Scripture, uh, what you'll see is Scripture paints an extremely profound, intellectually, emotionally, existential reasonable statement about why the world is the way we, it is and why we are the way we are, the problems we have in our daily lives, there is a big story in scripture that communicates what is wrong with everything. And so you read the news, wars in the news, you, you look at societal, like you look at the United States and you might think to yourself, oh, look at how bad things are compared to like when I was a kid. Or uh, you look at the politics and you look at the politicians, you're like, what's going on here? Like, why is everything so crazy? You look at riots, you look at the economy, whatever it is. And you ask yourself, what's wrong with the world? Christianity has an answer to that. Uh, if you look at what's wrong with you, your relationships, your family, Christianity has an answer to that. Uh, and so this is the context, this is the beginning of the story, and this is why we need so much to understand the Trinity and the love of God. This has a real impact and difference. So let me read for you the passage, um, this is Genesis chapter 3, 1 through 9. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we made of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden." 
This is, oh, sorry. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? This is God's word. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would reveal yourself uh, through the scripture, that you would help us see the truth, that you would diagnose our world and our hearts truly in ways that might help us to see our need for you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So, uh, weird, weird story. We come to this story with all kinds of preconceptions about what this story is about. Um, this story is why Christianity is intellectually ridiculous. There's a talking serpent. This story is like people use this to say the theory of evolution is false. Uh, Christianity and science cannot perfectly, can, it's totally ridiculous that, we, that those things would be compatible. Uh, we come to all of these assumptions about the book of Genesis and what I want you to see is, first of all, we have to see what form this takes, uh, what genre this is. And so if you guys are going to the movies and you uh, are watching a movie and we all are so, uh, what do you call it? Uh, we are so sensitive towards genre in stories. So l let's open up. Here's the story. Um, it was a dark, stormy night, right? Right off the bat. Right off the bat, you know that something is gonna happen. So, so is, is this a comedy? It was a dark and stormy night. No, it's, it, what is it? What kind of genre is it? Peanuts Snoopy? Peanuts Snoopy, okay, sure, yeah. So Peanuts co comic books can play on conventions of genre. Um, it was a dark, stormy night, and there was a group of people inside an old mansion uh, and then a man came up to them, a creepy-looking butler, and he said, uh, you might be wondering why my master called you all here. What kind of story is this? Maybe like a mystery, right? Um, or if, uh, here, here's another one. Uh, you're in, you're in there's, a, there's a teenage girl in her house, uh, and again, it was a dark and stormy night, it's raining outside. Uh, she's watching a scary movie on the TV, and it's Halloween, you know, like there are trick-or-treaters going around, or it's, trick -or it's, it's, it's uh, like late night, um, and then her boyfriend uh, calls her on the phone, and she's talking to him, he's like, oh yeah, yeah, you want to come over, hang out, like blah, 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 it'll be so great, and then all of a sudden the phone clicks, she lost signal, the power goes out, right? And then she, she's like trying to dial it, it's like her phone runs out of batteries at the same time as the power went out. Like, that's weird, what's going on? And she keeps on trying to like, you know, maybe I can go find my phone, maybe I can charge my phone. Nothing's working. Uh, and then she hears a loud banging on the front door, right? What kind of genre are we in? It's, it's, a, horror, it's a horror movie, right? Uh, now, when we come to these uh, stories, we know what genre we're in. When people come to the book of Genesis, especially the first few chapters, we don't know what kind of genre we're in, and because of that, we, we come to huge misunderstandings about what's going on. So uh, Genesis is not, it's not a science textbook, okay? That doesn't mean you can't infer from Genesis truths about creation in the world, but that is not the primary purpose of the book of Genesis. Instead, the, the book of Genesis kind of like defies our genres and conventions, the book of Genesis is making a statement about existence and what it means to be human and what's wrong with the world, and it's extremely profound. And so we're going to look at what this statement, the book of Genesis, is making. And what we're going to see is um, underneath what is wrong with the world uh, is that we have believed a lie about God and about ourselves. And because of that, everything in the world has gone wrong. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, oh, what's the big deal? Like, what's, what's so damaging about believing a lie? You guys already know. You guys already know why it's damaging to believe a lie about yourself. So, for example, uh, if you're raised in a home, there's a thing called uh, <laughs> attachment theory, right? So, Vaughn knows about this. Attachment theory is the idea that depending on the way that your parents, what type of environment and what type of relationship you have with your parents, that will set the course of all of your relationships in the future. Now, that's not to say that if you were raised in a difficult family, it doesn't mean that you can't change. But all it's saying is 
the way you attach to your parents will have a huge impact on your default understanding of the world. So for example, uh, they talk about having a secure attachment where when a very young baby cries, their parent will come and comfort them. And so that baby has this trust that when they need something, when they need help, their parents are very faithful and reliable to come and show love to them. If a child is neglected, if when they cry, the parent does not come, their entire security in the world, the world becomes a very scary place where I don't know if I'm gonna get what I need. When I'm hungry, I don't know if I'm gonna get food. And what attachment theory says is this is such a strong, visceral thing that we don't even necessarily consciously think about it, but if you are neglected as a child, your default position towards strangers, towards relationships, will basically be, uh, I, I don't trust you. Because you, can, you could not trust the very core relationship that every child needs, which is a secure attachment with their parents. And so, there is the, the, we have lots of categories for this. Let me give you another lie. So, so a child who is not securely attached will believe a lie about the world. Well, in, in this sense, like maybe there are some truths to it, but a lie about the world, no one will love me, no one will provide for my needs, and so therefore I have to fend for myself. I need to survive on my own and do what it takes to survive. So if that, that's like their attachment theory, their insecure attachment leads to all of these problems. And so your default position when someone wants to talk to you, they want something from me, right? Or something like that. Let's think about other lies. Uh, um, okay, I'm skipping ahead a little bit. Uh, I like weightlifting. And one of my, f the, probably the, the powerlifting Bible is a book called Starting Strength, okay? It's written by a guy named Louis Simmons. So Louis Simmons is a world-class powerlifting Powerlifter plus powerlifting coach. I think he was able to squat 600, 700 pounds. Uh, so he was super duper strong. And he's like a big guy. And he says all kinds of ridiculous statements. He says stuff like, you are not a man unless you weigh 220 pounds. So maybe you got, <laughs> you're a man. <laughs> I think you lost weight, so you're probably under that threshold. You're right there. So you are not a man unless you weigh 220 pounds. But, so that's kind of a ridiculous statement. It's also kind of racist, but anyway, I, I won't get into that. But um, another thing he says, the beginning of his book is one of the most hilariously sad things I've ever read. He is known for his, like, uh, what do you call it, um, hyperbolic statements. He says, he opens the book by saying this, the single most important thing in life is your physical strength. I am not joking. He says that in his book. And I'm like, really? We live in like, 20, like 2023. The single most important thing in life is your physical strength? Are you kidding me? What if you believed that truth, that truth, and you lived your life according to that truth? He honestly did that, and then what happened is he broke his back, he, like crazy stuff happened. So he has this inspiring story where it's like, I was weightlifting so much that I broke my back, and I invented this machine called a reverse hyper that helped me heal my back, so then I was able to get back to live. I'm just like, maybe you should re-examine the foundation on which you built your life if following your truth leads you to break your back. And then the other thing is like, is physical strength. You're the strongest person in the world. You just got the world record for deadlifting or something. Like, are you happy now? What do you do next? What do you do with your life? What does that mean about your relationships? Right? It's a lie, right? This is, this, but the crazy thing is we all believe very, very deeply these lies. So let me use another example. Um, you are a teenage girl on Instagram, TikTok, whatever it might be. And everything in your feed, everything in your feed is showing you pictures of beautiful, photoshopped, brushed up celebrities who look so amazing and they look so hot and it's like, I wish I had a body like them or I wish I had a face like them or I wish I had skin like them. And so you think to yourself, you look in the mirror and you think to yourself, I am ugly and unlovable. <laughs> True. <laughs> Do you know how that lie can control you and destroy you? Uh, what happens when you believe that lie? What happens when you live on the basis of that lie? Uh, you starve yourself. 
you run seven miles a day when it's not healthy because you're trying to lose weight, you're trying to look better. Uh, you spend hundreds of dollars on skincare. Or actually, is that, is that too little? Thousands of dollars? <laughs> Thousands of dollars on skincare products? Um, and no matter what you do, you still experience this deep gaping void where you're like, I'm still never enough. And that completely determines the whole shape of your life, right? There are these lies we believe. Now, in the book of Genesis, what scripture is teaching, this is a profound statement about everything, is just like attachment theory, underneath all of the lies we believe about yourself, there is the lie under the lie, the lie behind the lie. And that is what the serpent says to Eve. There is a lie underneath the lie. So just as, so this is a picture of what scripture says. We were made by God to have a relationship with him and we were made in his image. So we were made to be like him in certain ways. We were made to walk in the garden with God, uh, knowing him as a loving father, as a shepherd, as someone who cares for us. We were meant to talk to him and live with him. Uh, and then because of this lie, the lie of the serpent, uh, everything fell apart. And so when you look at this story, what, what is actually going on is this is the beginning of the story. This is the deepest need that every human has, which is we are out of, um, our relationship with God has been alienated. We are detached, and because of that, we are insecure. We are insecure. We have an insecure attachment to God, just like attachment theory, and this is like an existential attachment where we are insecure. And so everything, we try to cover ourselves with all kinds of stuff. So we'll talk more about what that means. Um, so first, we're going to look at the lie under the lie. Uh, then we're going to look at the fallout from the lie. And then we're going to look at uh, this search. Okay? So we got three things. Um, so let's get into it. Uh, now, so what story are we in? Now, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. Uh, the word crafty here could mean deceitful, but you get right off the bat, everything up to this point was good or very good. God made everything, God made the garden, and God was good. He made the garden. So, okay, um, a lot of people uh, talk about like where humanity uh, originated and based on this description of the garden, there's tons of great food and fruit for them to eat. They just go around and there's wonderful, delicious fruit to eat everywhere. Um, I can tell you decisively that the Garden of Eden was actually in Hawaii, because Hawaii has the best fruit. I'm just kidding. No, but that's not the point. Um, but it's, it's such an incredible, like, if you guys have been to Hawaii, you just know. You go to, like, Safeway in Hawaii, and every single fruit they have there is, like, 50 times better than this, the food here. Like, you go to a farmer's market uh, and get fruit here, and Hawaii is still probably better. Um, God created this wonderful garden where Adam and Eve could walk in the garden. Uh, they named the animals. They gardened the garden. They rearranged. We talked about this in Vertigo. They, re they worked the garden. They beautified the garden. They put in effort to reorder the raw materials of God's creation to make things thrive, to make creation thrive. And then not only that, they were intimate with each other. They were married. They had romance. They had deep love and connection. And they were in this paradise in the garden. Yeah, that made some of you uncomfortable, didn't you? Um, and so the, uh, Genesis chapter 2 concludes with this. The man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. And this is a euphemism for they were getting busy. Like, this is seriously, this is the garden. So they are free. Like, they are free. They, they have God. They have each other. They aren't lonely. Um, they're going to procreate. They're going to, like, fill the garden, fill the world. This is, this is amazing. It's beautiful. And then the, the antagonist steps onto the scene, right? Because now look, in many churches, in many churches, uh, we talk about God how God loves you. We talk about sin, how sin is bad, like don't do that bad sinful stuff, but we don't know who the bad person is. And so what's really interesting, we don't know the antagonist in the story of scripture. And so what's really interesting is many times the most religious people, because they don't believe in the devil or don't believe the devil is the main antagonist of the story, they will say that you, Rick, are the main antagonist. 
Like, you sinners, you guys are what's wrong. You guys need to stop sinning, and, and then the world would be a better place. Um, or those bad non-Christian people are the antagonist. They're the enemy. They're bringing down the world. That's what's wrong with the world. Their politics are what's wrong with the world. But in the book of Genesis, what the book says is there was a serpent that was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. Now, so this is the lie. He is the liar, and he is the father of lies. He is the one underneath every single lie that you deeply believe with the core of your being. Uh, now, before I talk more about uh, what the lie is, um, I just want you guys to know, uh, I know exactly what it's like to be a teenager. Okay, I don't know. Things might be different for you now, but I know many of the concerns that you have, and I have done many ridiculous things as a teenager. So uh, let me just give you one example to show you that um, uh, I am not immune to lies. So um, I've tried many different identities or personas on for size, right? Uh, we all do this. We, we try to find out who we are. So we listen to certain types of music and we say, I'm a Taylor Swift fan, that's my identity. I'm a K-pop fan, you make that your identity. Others of you, my beauty is my identity. Others of you, my grades are my identity. Others of you, anime. Others of you, sports. Others of you, weightlifting. Um, I've tried on so many different identities. So one of my favorite ones <laughs> was I loved basketball growing up. And I was never like super athletic, but I enjoyed fitness. So then like I loved playing basketball and I wanted to be fit. So when I was about 14 or 15, I really wanted six pack abs. Uh, however, I did not know how to weightlift and I didn't know anything about anything. So I came up with what I think is probably the most ingenious solution. I could probably sell this product right now if I made it. Um, I wanted to get six pack abs without putting in any effort. And so I came up with a contraption where um, I'm like, you know what? I wanna get six pack abs in my sleep. And so what I did was I got a backpack and I strapped it on like this. And so I'm sleeping on my back, and then do you know what I did? I put a bunch of heavy textbooks and books on my backpack over my stomach, so when my stomach rose up and down while I was breathing, I'm doing a workout. I kid you not, you, I, I'm not lying. What's up? No. <laughs> but that was for a different reason. Well, I was, yeah, so it's a great idea, right? Um, uh, later on in high school, I was addicted to Taco Bell and I was really depressed, so I ate Taco Bell every single day after school, and so that's part of the reason why it didn't work. But I, 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 I had not, I didn't continue to do that. I probably did that for like, maybe like three or four weeks. I'm like, I'm not seeing any visible progress. Okay, <laughs> it's not working. Now, okay, all I'm saying is, like, I was really insecure. Like, I really wanted that thing and it sounds funny, but it's really not, it's sad, right? It's also sad. I mean, it's ingenious, but it's funny, and it's sad, all, all, all in one, right? Um, so let me give you another example. And uh, the term, we're gonna talk about this later, but this, these are basically things we try to cover ourselves up with when we're ashamed and insecure. Uh, another example, I tried on being smart as an identity, which is a really, really obnoxious, annoying one. If you define yourself in terms of your intelligence and the only rate way you relate to people is by saying, oh, look how smart I am, that's like so obnoxious. Uh, so uh, I failed physics, I was gonna go to community college, uh, but instead I, tried it, I decided to go to a one-year Bible school in Colorado in the Rocky Mountains, and it was a new group of people, and so I'm like, ooh, I can try on any identity I want. What one should I choose? And so I decided to choose the annoying philosophical, like, oh, I'm so much smarter than you other Christians, blah, 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 look, like, look at what I read. And so it's really funny. For the first one, I, I didn't think about this. For the first one, I filled my backpack with like textbooks and stuff to get abs. This one, I filled my backpack with obnoxious philosophy books by French existentialists. And then I carted them around because I wanted people to think my brain had a six pack. You get <laughs> So I kid you not, I would like sit down before Bible class and I would bust out a, a book called Being in Nothingness by Jean-Paul Sartre. And then I would pretend to understand what I was reading. And I read maybe like 30 pages out of a thousand page book and I felt like I was smart. 
It's ridiculous. It's tragic. It's sad. But are you any better than me? Are you any better than me? What's the identity that you try to use to make yourself feel secure? Because deep inside us, we know that there's something wrong with us, and we feel that, there's, that like, we need something, like we need something. And so this is the lie under the lie. Underneath my desire to have six-pack is what? I am unlovable unless I look a certain way. Underneath the lie that I need to read Jean-Paul Jean Sartre being in nothingness is the lie, I'm worthless unless I'm smart enough. And these are honestly all lies that I have believed and do continue to believe. So what are some other lies? I'm only what I can achieve. If I don't have a good job, if I don't make a difference, if I don't have a legacy, I'm nothing. I'm worthless. I'm unlovable. And these lies totally change everything and ruin people. The devil is the father of lies, and the devil is so crafty. The devil wants us to believe these things, and he is intentionally trying to get you to believe lies. But what he does is way trickier than you think. He doesn't simply say to you, you're so ugly and unlovable. He actually says, I know the lie that can really destroy you. The lie is about God. So what is the lie? He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? What is his first lie? It's really subtle. He asks a question that insinuates something about the character of God. Did God really say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Is that what God said? God said, actually, if you read chapter 2, you can eat of every single tree in the garden. You can have all the best fruit in Hawaii, but you can't eat that one tree. And so this is like the best classroom or the best government in the world. There's only one law. There's only one rule. You can literally do whatever you want. You are completely free except for this one thing. And so the, the serpent is twisting what God said and saying, what kind of God wouldn't allow you to eat anything? He's holding out on you. He's tyrannical. He's controlling you, right? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. So again, the serpent is already confusing Eve, where God never said you couldn't touch that tree. He never said that. He only said, don't eat it. And so the serpent makes Eve question God's goodness and character, and then the serpent uh, just confuses her. And so... Uh, can you bring up that other picture slide? Uh, I don't know if you knew this, but the, uh, the serpent was the original gaslighter, okay? So gaslighting is uh, an annoying kind of like internet psychology term that's being thrown around all willy-nilly. Uh, to gaslight someone is to basically make them question their perception of reality. And so it's actually taken, so the OG original gangster, original Gaslighter, it, the, it was actually an Ingrid Bergman movie where there was, a, there was basically a guy who, so she was the inheritor of the fortune of a rich opera star. And so he basically uh, married her so that he could get at her fortune. So here was his plan. He wanted to get her institutionalized by basically driving her crazy and making her question reality. So what he did was every time she said something, he would start chain turning down the gas lamps in the house very, very slightly, a little bit at a time, until it was very dark in the house. So she's like, why is it so dark? And then you know what he would say? He would say, it's not actually dark. Are you feeling well? Like, are you okay? Like, do, do you need some help? And he, so he was the one doing it. He was making her uh, question her perception of reality. And so basically he was trying to drive her to insanity so that she would be institutionalized and then he would get the money, he would get the jewels, whatever it might be. That's what it means to gaslight someone. And this is what the devil is doing. And this, it's already working on Eve, right? Because he's saying, oh, is God really good? And then all of a sudden she's like, oh, I'm not allowed to touch the tree. Her perception of God's goodness, her perception of the reality of the world and who God is and who she is, is starting to become shaky. But let's keep going. The serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. 
So right now, he has moved from like a kind of subtle assault to a full-on assault about God's reliability. Is God truthful? When God says, stay away from this tree, because if you eat of it, you shall die, um, he says, no, you're not going to die. You're not going to die. You'll, you'll be totally fine. It'll be totally fine. And then he goes on to say, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So he's basically holding it out and saying, oh, this would be so amazing. And God is holding it, like, there's all of this good stuff. There is all of this good stuff that God is keeping you from. And what you really should do is you throw off his yoke of oppression, you stop listening to him, you stop believing in him, and do your own thing, and then you'll be happy, right? That's what the devil is saying. And what I would say is uh, that is a lie from the devil, and that is the lie underneath all the lies. So let's think about this philosophically for a second. Um, when people go to therapy, maybe therapy is very helpful for some people, people go to therapy to deal with the lies in their life. Like, I believe a lie that my parents don't love me unless I go to Harvard, right? And I need to go to therapy for that. Or, I, like, I need enough money. I need, to, I need, to, I need like, a um, $10 million net worth or else I'm unlovable and unworthy. And so they go to therapy. And the therapy says to them, uh, you are not your money. You are valuable and worthwhile apart from any money you have, right? But what I would ask them is, where does that foundation come from? What is the source of a human's value? Where does it come from? Philosophically, if you believe in materialism, which is the idea that all that exists in the world is material, it's matter, there is no God, then all humans are is kind of a random, uh, a random animal that's smarter than the other animals, okay? Do you see how I'm just working based on assumptions? So if we're simply smart animals, what value do I have apart from what I can do or what power I have? What value do I have? If I die, whatever, death is part of the circle of life, it's totally natural, Everyone, every animal dies, and so really it doesn't make a big difference, right? It doesn't make a big difference whether I live or die. Um, not only that, it doesn't really matter if I oppress or hurt or kill you, because it's the law of the jungle. You don't blame a lion for eating an antelope, so then why are you blaming me for exerting my power on Walter and like stealing his shoes, because I like his weightlifting shoes? I punch him in the face and steal his weightlifting shoes. We're just animals, law of the jungle, right? How does a secular therapist come to human dignity and worth apart from any power um, based on their philosophical worldview presuppositions. And what I would say is it's very, very challenging. I'm not gonna say there is no way of doing it. Some people will try to do it. But from a scriptural perspective, it is very, very clear and obvious why we have value and dignity. Because we were made by God. We were made to be different than animals. We were imbued with the spirit of God. The, like God breathed into us and we have a soul. And so that it distinguishes us from other animals. And therefore, I can give people a reason. This is, why human, this is why every single person, regardless of how rich or poor, how smart or dumb, how strong or weak, you all have value and you are loved by God, a creator, because he made you and he loves you. And you know, what's really interesting is when you look at the UN uh, Declaration of Human Rights, when you look at ethics, uh, human rights history so much of the things that we take for granted about what is right and wrong come from Christian worldview presuppositions, okay? So when they're doing the Declaration of Human Rights, the UN coming up with documents where we say, every person is valuable, you can't treat a person like an animal. That is coming from, a Christian, from Christian ethics, the resources of Christian ethics based on Genesis. And so all I'm saying is, uh, this is the lie. Once the devil can, dis, uh, can detach you from God, detach you from trusting him, then all of these different things will enter into the world. And then we have no, no we can't, what's wrong with the world? We live in the jungle. 
And it's totally normal. There's no reason to say something is right or wrong because lions eat antelopes. So whoever is the strongest, they can shape the world in the way that they want. And, and you might not like it because you're weaker than them, but you can't say that they're wrong. You can't say that they're wrong. You get me? But that's not the world that scripture says. That's not the world we live in. So let's look at the fallout. Um, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and it was a delight to the eyes and the tree was desired to, be make, uh, to make one wise, do you see how the lies of the serpent have incepted these ideas into her head where all of a sudden this fruit, which she really didn't need at all, becomes so attractive and appealing to her? So attractive and appealing, right? And look at the different things. It was, uh, it was good for food. It looks so delicious, you know? The Wagyu steak, oh, it looks so different. Like amazing, the Instagram picture, whatever. Uh, good for food. It was a delight to the eyes. It's beautiful. I want it. I just want it. It's shiny. And then it was destined to make one wise. Um, and so she believes the lie of the serpent that this will make her like God. When the crazy thing is, God already gave them everything. God already made them like God. They are already made in the image of God. So there's nothing to be gained. So the devil is just gaslighting her to make her do what, she, what he wants. And the, what he wants to do is damage her relationship with God, damage her relationship with other people, and destroy her in the end, right? And so what happens? Uh, she ate. She gave some to her husband who was with her. And <laughs> what? What? She ate. She ate. Yeah. She ate. <laughs> I, don't, I don't get it. I will explain it later. No, no, explain it now. <laughs> Yeah? Oh, okay. Yeah, she did. There we go. <laughs> Thank you. So she ate. Um, but let's, let's look at the fallout. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Now, this, this, is, this little phrase is so incredibly tragic. Uh, if you think this is funny... There are parts of it that could be funny, but this is an explanation of what's wrong with us. Uh, the idea that they were both naked and unashamed is a beautiful picture of like marital intimacy where you s deeply disclose yourself to another person. You are completely naked and you love and accept them. And so this is both like sex, it's both talking about sex, but it's also talking about like, like you have nothing to hide before this person. But the tragic thing that happened, and this is what's wrong with the world, we believed a lie about God, and then all of a sudden, our relationships with each other fell apart, and we felt like we needed to hide. We needed to cover ourselves up. And so what do they do? They, they, they realize they're naked, and they just get a random old plant, fig leaves, and they cover the, some, themselves up. Now, what's going on here is basically saying, uh, when you go on a date with someone, the first thing you want to learn is their achievements, or like the, your dating app, right? You're on Hinge or Tinder or whatever. Like, what are, what, what's this person's stats, right? What's this person's stats? How much do they make? What school did they go to? How tall are they? Whatever. Those are all the things you want to know. And the sad thing about this is we cannot relate to each other uh, in a normal way where we can see the other person as they are apart from any benefit they give you. I don't know if you know what I'm saying. I don't know if I know what I'm saying. I, I'm saying that like, like basically, uh, you, when you get married to someone, ideally you're not loving them for their money. You're not loving them for their intelligence, for their education. And if, they, if something changed, like the, uh, the marriage vows in sickness or in health, for richer or for poorer, right? When you choose to love someone, when you marry them, it should be for them, for who they are. But what's crazy is because of this lie, we put everything, we put on masks. So if you've ever gone on dates, you're on your best behavior, you wear your, your nicest shirt or you wear your cutest jeans or whatever they are, you wanna look pretty, you wanna look good, you wanna be attractive, whatever, um, and you, you don't disclose your deepest, darkest secrets because you, you're terrified that if they knew, they wouldn't like you. Do you see how that is a picture of everything we do in every single relationship, including marriage? We hide from each other. 
We put coverings on top of, like, and so this is the crazy thing. Um, we believe these lies, and so we either try to, like, achieve those things, and we succeed, and then those are still something that get in the way of our intimacy because we understand ourselves purely in terms of what work we do, or we fail miserably, and then we hate ourselves, and we want to die because we didn't achieve the thing that we thought would give us meaning and status, right? This is the lie. When we believe the lie of the enemy, the devil, then we start to cover ourselves up and we, we lose our ability to relate to each other and be truly self-disclosing. What, what else is the fallout? They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day and, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. They have ingested the lie hook, line, and sinker, and because of that, they are ashamed and afraid, and they hide from God. And they hide from God behind trees. This is totally ridiculous. Um, this is like Toby playing hide-and-seek with me and Ashley. Like, when Toby plays hide-and-seek, it's totally, he's really bad. He's, he's, he's probably the worst hide-and-seek player ever. Because, you see, what happens is, he runs into the other room, and he hides behind a rocker in his nursery, and I slowly go in the room, and I'm like, where's Toby? Where's Toby? And the whole time, you know what he's doing? He's going, <laughs> he's hiding behind the couch, and he's giggling so loudly to himself, and I obviously know where he is, right? What, what, they're trying to hide from God. God made the trees that they're hiding behind. God made them. God made the fig leaves. God made all of these things. He made the universe, and they're trying to hide from him. It doesn't make any sense but they're ashamed. They've done something wrong. They're embarrassed. They want to hide from God. And so in the same way, they have ingested this lie about who God is. And because of that, it leads to dysfunction in all of their relationships. It leads to dysfunction in their own view of themselves. They believe a lie about themselves where they think, okay, now that I've done something bad, how could God ever love me? Right? Do some of you guys believe that lie about who God is? that if you've done something wrong, God would never love you. And for, for others of us, we have to cover ourselves with our religious achievements. You have to be perfect. So um, for some people, uh, for moms, um, the one that I hear from a lot of moms, the lie that they believe has to do with perfectionism, where if I was perfect, then I would have peace in my life. You know what I mean? And so so many moms, like, they just kill themselves trying to be perfect in every single aspect of their lives, and it's exhausting, and it's anxiety-inducing, and it's miserable. They, have to, they think they have to be perfect. And the lie of the enemy is trying to reinforce that lie about themselves. Um, but if you understand the love of God for you, if you understand the way the Trinity relates to you, that can actually untangle the lie of perfectionism, and you can say to yourself, God loves me not when I'm at my most perfect, but when I'm at my worst, that's when God loves me. And so we talked about the lie. We talked about the fallout from the lie. Uh, some of the more fallout from the lie is uh, they turn on each other. So uh, Adam and Eve start blame shifting, where God, when he comes to them, uh, he talks to, he, he, he asks them where they are, and then Eve says, or Adam says, oh, the woman deceived me, or the woman made me eat the fruit. So in marriage, husband always blaming the wife. And then Eve blames the serpent, where it's like, oh, it wasn't my fault, the serpent deceived me. Now they're both right, they're both true, but what they're doing is they're blame shifting, they're saying, it's not my fault, I don't wanna take any responsibility for what happened, right? And this is another absolutely tragic thing about believing lies about God, about ourselves. Again, it's another view of our fractured relationships where in order for Eve to feel good about herself, she has to blame someone else. In order for Adam to feel good about himself, he has to blame his wife. And so this is a dynamic where the lies parents believe super mess up their kids and make their kids believe lies. And then those kids become parents and they get messed up. And all of our relationships are messed up because of this lie. So a perfectionistic mom. Uh, when my child does not meet my expectations, I become enraged, or I become self-loathing, or I become conditional, where I only love them on the basis of whether they can achieve this or not, right? We all know what this is like from our moms, from us ourselves, dads are the same way. 
I want my kid to be really good at sports. I'm going to beat him up on the court so he can become a professional basketball player. This is not the love of God. This is a lie. Parents are trapped by lies just the same way as kids are. Kids are trapped by lies. The cycle continues. The fallout spreads. The ripples keep on rippling, right? But here's the hope. The only hope that we can possibly have, and this is the story of the gospel. This is the big story of scripture. This is what's wrong with the world. This is why there are wars. This is why my family is messed up. This is why I feel like I'm never enough. But the hope is God does not leave them there, okay? So they are hiding from God, and then what does it say? They hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden, but the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? Where are you? What does this demonstrate? If God was a tyrannical God who has treated humans like butlers, basically, the, the minute your service is no longer up to par, I'm firing you. If that's what God was like, if God wanted us to serve him and, and loved us based on how well we did, how good of dishes we make for him, whatever it might be, how well we preach, how well we pray, whatever, he would not do what he does here. Because at their moment of shame and hiding, God goes after them, and then he asks Adam this question, where are you, Adam? This is the beautiful character of God that comes throughout all of scripture. In this very first catastrophe, God doesn't leave them on their own, in their shame, in their sin. He wants to counsel them. He wants to reassure them and heal them. He wants to bring them to repentance for what they've done. And so he asks, like, where are you? Uh, for some of you, I think maybe all of us, this is the question God wants to ask us. Uh, God sa is saying to you, where are you? Where are you with God? What do you believe about him? Right now, now, okay, let me, let me make it real. Uh, how, how real do I want to make it? Okay, let's pretend you're a guy, and last night, you looked at porn, and so you feel ashamed, which means you don't want to go to church. What lie are you believing about God? You are believing that there's something horribly wrong with you, which there is, but that's true about all of us, and that if you do something like that, God would never love you and accept you. That the worst things you do that you don't tell anyone about, you think those things disqualify you and separate you from God. But this is where the truth about the Trinity is so incredible, the truth about God the Father. The God, God the Father loves you so much. Romans chapter five, well, I'm sure we'll talk about this, my, one of my favorite verses. While you were still sinners, God demonstrated, his love, God demonstrated his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You get me? When we were at our worst, when you are at your worst moment, when you have believed the lie of the enemy, and you think to yourself, I will be happy if I can imagine for a second that I'm like super sexually attractive, you know, like getting busy, whatever, like your, the, your fantasy life, porn, whatever it might be. When you believe the lie in that moment, the devil has tricked you, and he thinks that will give you everything. He thinks, you, you, may, you think that will make you happy. But that is a lie from the devil. And then the next lie the devil wants you to believe is that because you have done that bad thing, God will never forgive you. God would never take you back. You, he is a disappointed parent who will never accept you. You're ostracized from the family. But he says, while you're still sinners, Christ died for you which demonstrates that God as a father is always searching for us. No matter what you've done, what he wants more than anything is for you to confess your sin and be open with him because then he can help you. Your problems, your issues, your sin, your insecurity, he wants to hear that from you so he can counsel you. And then he wants to reassure you of his love. And so you need the truth. You're believing a lie. You need the truth from God. And 1 John chapter 1 says, uh, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And this means if you feel guilty, if you feel like you're running from God, you're ashamed because of what you've done, God is asking, where are you? And then what you can say is, God, I'm sorry, I messed up. I confess my sin. 
And then God, do you know how God feels about you in that moment? He says, I am so glad you want to come back to me. You have confessed your sin. Because you believe and trust in Jesus, you're right back with me. Not only that, I came searching for you the whole time. You thought you were searching for me. I was looking for you. I was wondering where you were. And if you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit brings us back to God. The Holy Spirit reminds us of the truth of who we are, how much we are loved by him. The Holy Spirit un, uh, dispels the lies of the devil and helps us, guides us in the truth about who we are, who God is. This is what we need. Uh, for those of you who believe lies, um, I pray that you would come to the next you know, six or so sermons and hear the truth about who God is. And then the final thing I would say is, um, if you are shaped by lies, if you so deeply believe certain lies about yourself that you cannot help yourself. Because when, you, when people, I, I know people who think to themselves, I'm so unlovable. And that they can't help it. They can't help but think that no one could ever love them or have to work so hard to prove themselves so people will love them. If you believe that lie, I would really encourage you, know the truth about a God who loves you. This God made you. This God forgives you. He sent his son to die for you. He sends the Holy Spirit to reassure you, to lead you in the truth, to dispel these lies. And so over time, as you believe the truth about God, this will set you free. I'm still insecure, but I no longer put books in my backpack to get six packs. I no longer... I, I mean, I still struggle. I still struggle. But to know the love of God for me, to know his unconditional acceptance of me as his child um, has really freed me. And so I don't have to try so hard to prove myself, to achieve, to be lovable, to be attractive, whatever it might be. Do you know this love of God for you? This love of God can set you free from the lies you believe. Let's pray. Dear Lord, you tell us the truth about what's wrong with the world, that the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. Um, and so I pray, Father, by your Holy Spirit, you would be bringing us to the truth about who you are, about who we are, about your love and forgiveness of us, even when we sin. Um, and I pray, Lord, that as we deeply, deeply see and know and experience your love, you would change us, uh, you would make us bring hidden things into light. Uh, you would help us to confess sins that we've never told to anyone else before um, so that we might experience your grace and forgiveness for us and that would set us free. I pray you would rescue us from shame, from the lies of the enemy that says we are unworthy, unlovable, um, that we are only how attractive we are, that we are only how strong we are, how smart we are, how rich we are, what we achieve. I pray you would set us free with your truth. In Jesus' name, amen.